0: That's a good song. Those are all good songs. We're going to be continuing our series in 2 Corinthians, uh, which is just such a beautifully rich letter. Um, and so if you've been here, you've you've heard where we've been, you've, you've been with us as we've journeyed through, as we've looked at these truths that God has given us about our identity and our role, the difference between the two, what happens when we get them confused, And really, we're going to continue with that again today. I I said at the very start of this series, this letter is just intricately woven with these truths. And so really, every page you turn to speaks to these things and teaches us them. Uh, If you would, if you want to read along, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Um, And so we're going to be reading there in a moment. But before we do, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty and the blessing of it. We thank you for the privilege to engage with it. We thank you for the ability to come to it whenever we choose. We thank you that you use your word like a sword to cut away what needs to be cut away, to pierce us, to refine us, Lord, may that happen this morning. May we come before You humbly, desiring to be shaped like Christ. May we offer You our hearts in this time. Lord, I give You these words. Make them holy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please stand, out of respect for the words of the Lord. This is chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Listen for the themes of identity and role, and the power of God, His sufficiency in them. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You may be seated. We saw two important, important truths about our identity in Christ in that passage. And I want to very quickly address the verse that they are not in. Our identity is not afflicted. Our identity is not persecuted. Our identity is not perplexed. Those are things that happen to us, but that is not who we are in Jesus. This is who we are in Jesus as members of the new covenant. What did verse five say? Verse five says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Your identity, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, a member of the new covenant, your identity is Jesus' servant to everyone else in here. We've talked about this in multiple passages because the Bible spends so much time on this idea. Why? Because we all love ourselves way too much. We love our own ego. We love it when things are about us. We love it when we get our way when things are our preferences. And so the Bible spends so much time reminding us of the necessity of dying to self to be like Jesus. So we're going to go through these verses very quickly. Romans 12, 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Galatians 5, 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We are not all designed to fill the same temporary role in this body, as good stewards of God's varied grace. But there is not a single believer here assembled into this body who has not been gifted by the Holy Spirit for the edification of this church, as each of you has been gifted. So if we show up to the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the body of Christ, thinking, okay, what are you going to do for me? We have missed the point entirely. We are called to serve one another. This is our identity. Servants, your servants... I mean, think about it. God, as he led Paul to write this letter, as the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this, he could have simply said, as servants for Jesus' sake. Okay, I can get on board with serving Jesus. He's holy, he's perfect, he's loving, he's kind, he's gracious, he's good. He's never wronged me. Yeah, as servants for Jesus' sake, I'm on board with that. No, the Holy Spirit, God, led Paul to write as your servants for Jesus' sake. Wait a minute, serve other people? I know how petty they are. I know how selfish they are. I've been wronged by the church. I've been hurt by the church. I've been betrayed by the church. I don't know if I'm as comfortable with this idea as being their servant. I like being Jesus' servant. But God's word says, as your servants. Servants to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our identity. Then what else is described as our identity in verse 7? One of the greatest band names of all time. The beautiful artwork we've had in our new community room. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. This is who you and I are. We are jars of clay. And this is not the only place the Bible describes us as this. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Jeremiah 18, 4-6. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Why is it... I want to be very careful with this part. Okay. Why is it important that God calls us vessels of clay designed to hold stuff? Oh, Yeah, who just gasped, thinking that I was about to pour a lot of water out right here? Why did I not pour any water out on the stage? Because we didn't fill it up first. See, vessels can't produce. Vessels can only contain. We cannot produce the holiness on ourselves. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot fill up the vessel. God has to fill up the vessel. If I would have filled that with water and I did trip, what would have poured out? Not a trick question. Water. Would grape juice have poured out? No. I didn't fill it with grape juice. I filled it with water. See, that's the other inherent truth about a vessel is when it is bumped, when it spills over, it will only spill over what it is filled with. We are called to be vessels of holiness, vessels of the Holy Spirit, vessels of love. Love filled with the life of Christ, filled with the compassion of Christ, filled with the goodness and the gentleness and the mercy, the truth of Christ. We cannot produce this on our own. Consider Joe's sermon last week when we read in Corinthians. Let's back up there and read very quickly. I'm going to go through this. Right? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. Why? Why? Because when he entered the the presence of God, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face, why? Because when Moses entered the presence of God, when he was with the Lord, he was transformed. Moses did not make his own face shine. Moses did not possess the inherent self-glory necessary to do that. That transformation came from being in the Lord's presence. What you and I pour out, what you and I spill out into everyday life, into the lives of the people we come in contact with, we cannot generate on our own if it is the good thing. So the question, when we are reminded that our identity is a vessel, the question is then, what are we filled with? Or are we trying to fill ourselves as a vessel, forgetting who exactly we are? Consider these passages, Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Some translations, instead of abundance, will say for out of the overflow. In other words, what fills the person's heart is what spills out. 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We confess our sins. What's it say? When the vessel cleanses. When the vessel is cleansed, then it's ready for the master to use for good work, for his will, his purpose. How do we get cleansed? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the church cannot forget that we are jars of clay. Have you ever bumped into anybody's arm when they've got a cup or maybe somebody's bumped into your arm and they're like, oh shoot, sorry. And you're like, no, it's okay. There's only a little bit left. Are we running on a little bit left? Are we trying to be a vessel for holy use with just the tiniest bit left in the bottom because we're not returning to the Lord to fill up? I mean, our identity, this is who we are. We are jars of clay designed to be filled and used by the master. So we have to ask ourselves, am I a vessel that is going to the Lord to be filled so that I can carry this treasure to the world, so I can pour this treasure out, so that I can spill this out in the lives of those I come in contact with? This is who you and I are. We are servants of one another, and we are jars, vessels, to be filled by the Lord and used for His good works and His good purposes. You cannot escape this as a Christian. And then in that, we see an earthly role. We've talked a lot about eternal roles. And ironically, as Adeline and I were talking about several months ago getting ready for this series, you know, we're talking about this idea of eternal identity, eternal role, earthly role. And of those three, I think we would all agree that the earthly role is the shortest term, is the least amount of time, the smallest part, you might say, but it's ironically the one we seem to spend the most time obsessing about and worrying about and thinking about. Sam, that was a great sermon, but but what am I supposed to do in my day-to-day life? You didn't speak specifically to what do I do as a retired grandparent, as a welder, as a mechanic, as a teacher, as a nurse. Like, I want to know exactly what steps I'm to take in my earthly role. More frequently, it pops up with, dude, should I take this job or not? I don't know. Well, what Bible verse should I read? There's not one. There's not a Bible verse that says, if the hour of pay exceeds this, take the job. If it doesn't, don't. That's just not in scripture. But those are the questions we want answered. Should I take this promotion? Should I not take, I might, I'll get more pay so I could give more, but then I'll have to work more, so I'm away from my family, what do I do? Should I move, should I sell the house, where should we live? Like, We want all these specific questions about our earthly roles answered. And really, we have to allow our eternal identity and our eternal role to define our earthly roles. So whatever job you find yourselves in, It might be the greatest career you've ever had. you love it. Newsflash, it's temporary. It's going away. It's fading to dust. It's rusting as we speak. You're not going to do it forever because you're not going to live forever. So whatever role you're in, it's temporary if it's earthly. But in that temporary role, in that earthly role, we are given by God how to behave in it, how to use it for His glory. Consider these verses. This is 5 and 6 and 13. Back in chapter 4, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak. What are you supposed to do in your earthly role? If you believe, you're to speak. Done. Simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Now, whatever that detail might look like, that's up to prayer. That's up to figuring it out. I get it. If you work for the state, there might be restrictions on what you can do. My dad recently was looking at a career change. There was one option he was really intrigued by a counseling position where he could really be in a place to help a lot of people. As he was talking to him, it was very like he knew from the start that, hey, this was state funded, this was run by the state. And so my dad asked, you know, in counseling, would I be able to talk about Jesus? Would I be able to bring this up? And they were like, no, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. So he's like, okay, then I can't take this job. Because I believe, and so I'm going to speak. If you work in a factory, speak. Speak to your coworkers. If you work remotely and you don't have coworkers, speak to your neighbors. If you work remotely and you live remotely and you don't have coworkers and you don't have neighbors, guess what? You better find a hobby and get plugged into the community because you've got to speak. That's what our role is meant to be. Because I believe, I speak. Now, I'm not saying this has to equivocate to like a Billy Graham crusade, right? Like you petition the boss, hey, every coworker needs lunch break at the same time so I can stand on a little platform and present the gospel. Don't get it twisted. What does it look like? It looks like proclaiming the love of Christ, it looks like proclaiming the peace of Christ. It looks like proclaiming joy. It looks like proclaiming hope, truth. One of the best compliments I've ever received. and I wrestled with sharing this story. Please understand, I'm not trying to build myself up. I've said before, I won't ask you guys to do stuff I'm not willing to do. All right, so that's the only reason I'm sharing this story, I promise you. Something really bad happened with a job where I was working at, that between management and the employees. Management really messed up, mistreated the employees, the employees were ticked, they were all fired up. The talk is very angry. I walk into the room, like, hey, what are we talking about? They mention it, I open my mouth, and my one coworker goes, no, you don't get to talk right now, because you're gonna say something about respecting those in authority, you're gonna say something about responding gently, you're, just, we wanna be mad, you don't get to talk. That's what it looks like, right? It looks like, hey, everybody's ticked, I'm gonna speak peace. It looks like everybody's scared, I'm gonna speak trust. It looks like everybody's lonely, I'm gonna speak hope and love. So I believe, so I speak. We are all undeniably biblically called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, of salvation through him and him alone. And it is not a complicated message. It's not. Consider these verses, Acts 4, 11 to 13, one of my absolute favorite passages in Scripture. So what's happened in Acts 3 and 4, building up to this, is the apostles have been proclaiming Jesus. They get in trouble for it. They get brought before the leadership, before the authority. The authority's like, you're going to get punished if you continue to do this. What do you have to say for yourselves? What, what do you, how are you going to respond to this? This is their response to the people, the opposition around them. And it only gets worse from here on out. The leaders only get more offended by this and more troubled with them. Acts 4, 11 to 13. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What's the crowd's reaction to this, aside from from the anger of the leadership? But how else do they react to this? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'm just a common person, so were Peter and John. I'm not theologically educated, neither were Peter and John. I mean, of all the adjectives God could have used to describe them in this moment, He used uneducated and common. This was the crowd's perception of them. So before you start to listen to the enemy, when he tells you you're just an uneducated commoner, Listen to God's voice who says that when uneducated common people speak up with boldness, the crowd realizes, oh, it's got to be Jesus. It's not a complicated message that we're called to proclaim. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-2 to two, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." Believer, do you believe that sin was sending you to hell, that it earned you hell? Yes? Okay. Believer, you have professed to believe that Jesus died for those sins, resurrected, rose again, and that by professing him as Lord, confessing your sins, professing him as Lord, that's the only way you get to heaven. If you can say those three sentences, you have every intellectual capacity to share the gospel. Paul says, I didn't come to you with lofty fancy speech. I didn't come to you with 10 syllable words. Soteriology, ecclesiology, pneumatology. What's he talking about? You don't need to know to share the gospel. Paul didn't use the big fancy words. He says, No, I resolved to know nothing other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. So our earthly role is not convoluted, it's not tricky. It's not hard to puzzle out. I believe, so I speak. This is what God lays out for us in his word in this passage of 2 Corinthians. You can all do it. Anyone filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's all believers, has everything they need to proclaim the gospel. God is sufficient in all our weaknesses. I promise you, that he has gifted you and equipped you for this purpose as a believer, filled with his power. And there's a crucial detail in this. Um, there's There's a crucial detail in this that actually helps keep us from getting overcomplicated. It keeps us from messing it up, from missing the point, and trying to hide behind smoke screens and goofy illusions. And that's what's also laid out in Scripture. A non-negotiable part of this in our role. Verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We're not called to alter the message to make it more appealing. Imagine this scenario with me. You're drowning in the middle of an ocean. A ship pulls up alongside you. You you are seconds from going under. Like, you know how tired you are. You know you can't tread water. A moment longer and a ship pulls up alongside you and I appear at the edge and I say, hey, here's a life preserver." Oh, wait, it's not very pretty. It's kind of crack. Like, do you care? No, because you know that's your only way of living. Friends, the message of salvation, it's not up to us to try and make it appealing by watering it down or removing parts of God's Word. We don't mess with it. We don't tamper with it. It's the message of life. I mean, think of the arrogance that we have to possess as the church to say, we know how to communicate this message better than God does. You know, if God would have checked with us, we would have told him that, hey, those three chapters are going to make it hard for people to listen. Don't include those. I mean, the hubris that has poisoned us to where we play games with the gospel To where we pick and choose the passages of the Bible that we like. And avoid the ones that are hard to understand that require a little bit of work. We don't mess with Scripture. We cannot tolerate teachers who do. The reason false teachers have a platform is because we give it to them. If we would stop buying their books, if we would stop listening to their podcasts, their platform would go away. But we have been called to renounce cunning to turn away from tampering with God's Word. We commend the full truth of it, start to finish. Genesis to Revelation, this is the Word of God. I don't know better than Him. I am not going to add from it or take away from it. This is our call. Consider these passages. Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He's talking about the church. I mean, consider how many times The church is given admonition and guidelines on how to identify false teachers within their own ranks. Scripture is the basis of all church practice and doctrine. Scripture must be the only standard by which we compare church practice and doctrine, the only means by which we evaluate it. We do not go beyond it. We do not shrink back from it. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. 1 Timothy 3.14-15, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Titus 1, 9, talking about the qualifications for an elder, a pastor of the church. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We refuse to practice cunning. We refuse to tamper with God's word. So when our coworkers, when our neighbors, when our family members, when our friends ask us about the hard passages, we don't say, well, that's kind of the part of the Bible that we don't really talk about. Ah, you didn't, shove it in the closet. Let's go back to focus on the easy stuff. No. Our eternal identity is a servant and a jar. Neither of those have the authority to make decisions. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the love of Christ. We are filled. What did it say in 2 Corinthians? We carry with us the death of Christ so that we also carry with us the life of Christ. This is what we proclaim without apologizing for it. Yes, hell's real. I'm not sorry. I don't want people to go there. I grieve that I can think of people in my own life by all accounts seem to be headed there but I will not apologize for its existence for its reality Jesus is the only way would it be easier according to our standards if there were multiple ways well yeah if I'm grieved by the reality of hell it'd be great to think that people I like all they have to do is give 10 bucks to Salvation Army and hey you're going to heaven But Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm not going to apologize for that. Neither can the church. What we can do, what we must do, is embrace our identity as servants. Embrace our identity as vessels. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the love of Christ. Be filled with the compassion of Christ. Be filled with the truth of the gospel and proclaim it and pour it out every moment of our short, short lives on this earth. That is our identity. That is our role. That is what Scripture lays out. And a beautiful, beautiful detail in Scripture that we've talked about numerous times is that it is one cohesive, coherent proclamation. It is not a New Testament versus Old Testament. It is one work. So let's go to the Old Testament and see how God talks about the same exact idea, the same truth unpacked in 2 Corinthians. Let's go back to Isaiah and see how God talks about this, puts it all together in this one passage. This is Isaiah 30, starting in verse 8. And now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Okay, so we have people unwilling to listen to God. What do they say? What does God say they say instead? They say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. Its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is to be found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said no. What's it say in Isaiah? Isaiah. The people didn't want the truth. They didn't want the hard truth. They said, no, 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 prophesy to us illusions. Tell us what's smooth. Tell us what's easy. What's the result of that? A breaking of the vessel that leaves it pointless. It says not a single shard is to be found with which to scoop up water. Then you look at 2 Corinthians Where when you have a vessel built on truth, it is ready to be filled and used by the master. God could not be more clear on our identity and our role. The question then remains, will we submit to it? Will we line up under his authority? Will we say, yeah, ego aside, I'm their servant, I'm your vessel. Fill me and use me. As we consider this, this week, let's apply the Acts model. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. How does this passage in 2 Corinthians lead you to pray? For further thought, we're going to read Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 1. Look for these themes. Look for these ideas. We're going to continue to meditate on We're going to continue to internalize Acts 2.42. And then the reflection, what are you filled with? When life bumps you, what spills out? When someone wrongs you, what spills out? Forgiveness, mercy, grace, love, compassion, anger, resentment, bitterness, muttering under your breath. When someone else gets a promotion, when your neighbor gets another house upgrade, right? Like, did he just buy a third boat? What spills out? Jealousy? Envy? Whining? Doubting the Lord? I mean, when life bumps you, what spills out? For Christians, who are called to be vessels filled with Christ, carrying with us the death and life of Christ, what should spill out? is the heart of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are, I am, I am a very flawed vessel. And you are so merciful and patient with me. I, I, I don't know why. I know why, I know, I know you love us, I know you love me. And I praise you for these things. Forgive me for when I forget my role. Forgive me for when I try and fill myself. Forgive me for when I look to things other than you to fill me up. Thank you that you do. Thank you that you fill me. Thank you that you fill your church. So Lord, our request is simple. May we only come to you And may we pour you out. May we pour out your message. May we pour out your love. Lord, we believe. May we speak. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.